Hi, Tim. Oh, hi, Ryan. <laughs> I just spilled coffee on myself. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> and hello, everyone. <laughs> I hope we didn't startle you too bad. Welcome, either way, to Dismembering Horror, episode 131 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast I don't, I don't believe it. I don't know what to tell you, Tim. <laughs> but uh, it's it's believe true. It. And uh, and yes, and, and and believe it or not, Tim, as I was saying, the show that we're on, that we're with, that we're here in is Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and... Myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film every week. That means we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy whether it's a tidbit or an observation or anything in between, about a film that we watched. And I sit, put that emphasis on what worked for us and what did not work for us because it's very much the spirit of it. We do not, uh, we, we do not purport to be any sort of final say or critic. We're merely friends getting together to dismember a horror film that we just watched. And we thank you for being here with us. And for today... We traveled to 1989. Tim, was that a good year for you? Oh, man. <laughs> 89. Um, I believe that was the year I lived in Palo Alto, California. 88, 89. Wow. So, yeah, it was interesting. Fourth grade. Um, you know, had to move from Rochester to California for one year. <laughs> And then move really, back. Uh, you've really been all around, huh? I guess so. New York to L.A. Anyway, yeah, well, I doubt at the time, if you were in fourth grade, you probably didn't see today's film. We're going to be discussing. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Titled Santa Sangre. I was really by... into Weird Al Yankovic. And then, and then one day I got to meet him in real life. It was glorious. Aren't we all... Uh, fans of his um and yeah it's a good story but as i was saying sorry tim <laughs> directed by alejandro jodorowsky written by alejandro jodorowsky roberto leone and claudio argento mm. relation yes they're brothers mm. claudio and dario there you go <laughs> Can you see their parents, little with little Claudio and little Dario? Claudio, Dario! <laughs> it's great. Dario, stop stabbing your brother. <laughs> anyway. Um, Is that offensive? So, yeah, I mean, it's so easy. I, I don't know. I don't know. Italians always are getting made fun of. Sorry, Italians. Um. It's just, it's just, we, I can't not picture like the, like the little kids like playing with a stick and a hoop on a dirt dirt path. (laughs) It's not colonial America. (laughs) No, no, it's just Italy. Exactly. 
What the, have you been to Italy in all your travels? No, I, uh, I would love to go. My family has gone, and I couldn't go with them. There's a year that that my parents and a bunch of their friends all went, um, like family friends and stuff. And I, for whatever reason, I couldn't go. They were there for like mm, a month. Oh, so I'm sorry, you couldn't go. They're in the like the countryside in some, you know, some old house <laughs> on a hill. I was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was pissed I couldn't go. Someday. Oh, well. And then we'll do yeah. uh and then we'll do uh uh Dario, we'll do a whole Giallo uh mm. locations tour. Oh, that would be great. Today we were far from Italy with Santa Sangre. <laughs> we traveled <laughs> to Mexico <laughs> and all its wonders. Uh Tim, was this your first Jodorowsky film? Um yeah, I think so, actually. <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> Great. It's it's fun to talk to. Now Now is a post-Jodorowsky Tim that we have. <laughs> I had seen um, El Topo before and Holy Mountain. So like the two main ones, two other big ones, but had not seen this. So I was really excited to see it. And mm. should we watch the trailer before we go any further? Get us into oh, the yeah. Santa Sangre mood? Great. We should. All right. Here we go. One more time. Santa Sangre. have it folks <laughs> Sante Sangre very soundtrack heavy but set the mood nonetheless mm. Woo. this movie was a lot to take in Tim in the best of ways that that is a goddamn understatement <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling it I'm feeling it in my stomach I'm feeling it in my chest it's about so much it's it is it is yeah i I, it's visceral it's as i watched it i'm i thought a lot i was like i don't even know where to start there's (laughs) there's so much going on from you know you know a topical you know point of view all the way down to like many many layered metaphors that i was like i almost didn't know what to focus on it was weird i tried to just let it do its thing right like not think about it and let the movie just kind of wash over me but it's it's a lot <laughs> but i mean at the same time it's a very simple story mm-hmm. so <laughs> i know I, I i don't know i was able to um, let it wash over me i felt like i had no choice <laughs> you know with you this didn't kind of movie yeah. right i was holding a knife to your throat the whole time if only that'd be a appropriate <laughs> way to watch this. If Ooh. only. 
Uh, it means would wouldn't it wouldn't feel not fitting. I don't want to go as far <laughs> as to say it would feel fitting, but anyway, boy howdy. Have you seen mm-hmm. it, listeners? This movie. We hope so. The spirit of this this show is that you watch the movie with us and then you're here digesting it <laughs> with us. Boy, 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 boy. Jodorowsky, Jodorowsky. Well, I guess we just got to move along here, Tim. That's what we. That's how we do it. That's what we're doing here. How would you rate your film? This film per our rating system. Would you tell yourself to avoid it, stream it, Ooh. rent it, or buy it? I think I would say it's for me. Uh, I, you know, I didn't love watching it. Um. It's it's just not it's just not my thing. Like I really appreciate it and I and I get why he has the sort of like acclaim or or cult following or whatever his notoriety around being a filmmaker is, like why his name stands out. But it really isn't my thing. So I I think I'm a rent for that reason. Like I I I don't want to watch it again i'd like to see his other movies but but i'm not like hell yeah this is something i want to revisit put it on the shelf kind of thing so it's a it's a rent i don't know i feel like i might have gone to bed a rent but then woken up a buy just like (laughs) interesting (laughs) with how it's i probably went to bed a a a void because i was just like no i don't want it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot but once yeah. i once i was able to step away and th- think about the themes that were there mm-hmm. and how caught up i really was while watching it and also coupled with the thing that you know is pretty a pretty running thing for like the bias for me whether it's vampire or we didn't review it but um gretel and hansel mm. Um, even Carnival of Souls, I mean, or look at Mulholland Drive, anything that has that, that dream quality. Yeah. But then what you get that sense either when you step away or you're watching it and it's, it's often case then true that the making of it feels like there's all this kind of serendipity involved. Like they're really plugged into accomplishing that, that dream logic. Um, but then it's again, it's it's all coupled in an actual movie beyond a dream logic too. But I, I don't, so I don't know if that's the best descriptor that I'm trying to, you know, for it for what I'm trying to get at the dream logic thing. But that at least gets at it. Yeah. Anyways, cool. <laughs> there is a new special edition coming out for it in uh <laughs> in um April, and when I was looking at that, and I, I just was like looking at all this TLC put into it, I'm like, you know what? Of course, that's, it's so cool. Why wouldn't I want that on my shelf? Just look at that thing. Yeah, I'll buy it. So I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave it there for now. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Boy, man. All right. Well, Tib, you know, I mean, aside from the movie itself, something I was very excited for, was hearing your summary on it. Can you <laughs> give us a brief summary on Santa yeah, Sangre? Yeah, 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 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. The child of car- uh, carnies. Oh, I, I'm sorry. That's that's offensive. The child of circus folk. Yeah. Uh, is treated very badly as a child by his parents, one of whom is an American knife thrower, and the other is a kind of a religious zealot from... D- where Where are we? I, I can't remember if it's established specifically... It's just in I Mexico. Mean, yeah, right? in Mexico. I don't know if okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if they specified a city. So, she the mom is sort of a, re, a religious zealot of a, of a offshoot Christian cultish, almost worshiping uh, uh, the worshiping the death and rape and disarmament of uh, a young girl. So very specific in in that town. And also the mom is a, her, her circus act is the hang by your hair, um, trapeze sort of artist, but things go bad and the kid witnesses a lot of gnarly stuff, including his father's death because the father cheated on the mother. The mom kills him graphically. We'll get into it. Um, And so the story is that kid grows up very messed up. He's got um, some mental, psychological, uh, possibly dissociative um, issues. And God, this is impossible with this movie. Um, Let's see. He, (laughs) he is, God, he escapes from the mental hospital he meets back up with his oh i'm sorry i left an important part out his mom gets her arms cut off by the husband before the husband dies but she lives maybe but she lives let's just say she lives and the son and her form a new act which is the son performing as her arms while she does stuff armlessly but like he becomes her arms or a stand-in for her arms. But he also becomes a killer because she keeps telling him to kill people because he shouldn't be around unpure people. And and it sort of goes from there. The end. That's great. Exactly. That's what happens. Perfect. <laughs> and just to sort of um circle back real quick, just when I said, you know, it's the themes that sort of put it over for me into a buy it. Just look at the obvious psycho comparisons. Just that this oh, movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I is, thought of that too. It's just another. It's it's just from that same. It's cut from that same cloth as far as themes. So that's all near and dear to me. So there's a little more clarification why I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Anyway, great there's, summary. There's Tim. a lot to like. Hmm. But it is it is very much a. Uh, it's a really, so, I don't know, I don't know if specific is the right word, but it, it's a specific style. I mean, it's so avant-garde and so, I don't want to say out it was, there, but it's, for it, me, it's, it's um, yeah, it's it was in almost, its own realm. The parts of it that were very giallo made me go like, that's true, yeah. I, 
I wish the Giallo movies we've watched weren't this boring. Or sorry, were that this were, the yes, opposite <laughs> yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're more this, like this and not yeah. boring, you mean, yeah. Yeah. It's had so much going on in it. Well, if that's the case then, Tim, should we move on to talking about what worked for us in our first section? I think we should. Great. All right. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> it worked like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what worked? What worked for you? I mean, what always gets me for a film, Tim, what I, the thing that I ask for first, for first and foremost in a film is feeling like um, it, it, what's happening is constantly unexpected, where there is like an inner logic flow that all feels right, but I never know exactly what's going to happen next. Whether mm. it's when they like go to the movie theater and then the pimp stops them and takes them to the red light district, or oh there's an example of that, or like... It, or the the hallucina, hallucinatory aspects of it that were just so incredible were like as if the ending wasn't already impactful and great enough, but then all of a sudden he finds himself in a barn full of white chickens and then in a graveyard full of ghost <laughs> oh, women where the yeah, yeah. the tattooed horse essence of the tattooed woman who's right. pa- who he killed you know emerges and then the the duck flies out of the gray it's like <laughs> the duck yeah it's so good and they were even that like this is the scene i just wish i was watching it with you the elephant uh funeral it's mm-hmm. it's sad but it's funny and weird it's certainly and- weird i was like <laughs> i that was that was actually the first moment where i really was like i'm i'm a little overwhelmed by just the level of I was like, I think that I'm I'm missing things because there's so much going on. And there's probably <laughs> like even sort of a cultural lost in translation thing happening. And I felt a little like, oh, no, like this is going to be more than I can kind of take in. It's just like I got to just let it be and, and just go with the flow because I don't I don't know what is happening. So what was that essentially your reaction? I specifically wanted to know what your essence was doing when then the elef- when they cut the elephant's giant coffin down into the gully mm-hmm. and all the townspeople like started cheering and celebrating and slid down the hill and they started tearing the coffin apart and joyously throwing the pieces of the cutting up the pieces of the elephant and throwing it to the crowd. What was what was going through your being then? Uh- oh god a lot of just what the hell like what like what am i watching what am i i think mostly it was like me going what am i supposed to take away from this like am i supposed to read the metaphor like or should i just let it just be what it is and i got i I don't know i i was i was also kind of i was a little Mm, what's the right word? Disgusted is too strong. I was like dismayed by like the, like what was actually happening in it. Like the whole vibe of it just made me 
feel kind of uncomfortable. And that's not a bad thing, right? Like I was, I was like, ooh, this is affecting and I'm not sure why, but it's mm-hmm. like the whole scene, everything about it, like just the the reality of putting a, an elephant in a giant coffin alone, I was like, well, that's something you you don't see every day. <laughs> <laughs> And then, then like when they drive, I was thinking, you know, it's they're gonna drop it into like a river, you know, gorge, and it's gonna float away, and that's gonna be really beautiful. And no, it's into just a pit of trash, and then people fly down the hill after. I was like, this is, this is a lot. It's heavy, heavy stuff going on. Well, so when they when they started actually dismembering the the elephant too, I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I I don't think I want it. The the metaphor is definitely there though. Like so, mm-hmm. I was picking up on that and enjoying it. Like the elephant is his, you know, loss of childhood, and also you know to presumably they're cutting it up for food. It's like you know it's being yeah. it's being repurposed. Death is not you know this this end yeah. all. Um, There's but- a lot of sort of class stuff going on. Um, Having everybody painted gray and mm-hmm. had a weird effect on me. It's almost like saying the poor people are sort of, I don't know if it's saying this, but I kind of took away that the it had this feeling of like the poor people are all like almost zombie nondescript. Like they're all like, it's a point of view. It's sort of the subjective point of view on them of like, Oh, they're just the masses and they're picking up the scraps. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this all feels really heavy. Right. Um, I want to see if for you too, you know, I, I start, start off trying to say what's so important to me first and foremost, what always works for me in a film. And that's, you know, being surprised, things happening that are unexpected. And hearing you talk about how you felt with that elephant uh, funeral. <laughs> And the group that and how they were reacting to it and all that mm-hmm. is is a big part of the horror that was maybe working for you in this film. Something yeah. we come back to a lot, and you mentioned, which is the 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 group think tank almost getting yeah, caught yeah. up in a sort of certitude amongst a group and not questioning it because there was a lot of that happening in here. And specifically with this film too, it felt like God. I mean. I mean, maybe answer that first, and then I'll, I'll continue that thought. Um, yeah. yeah, there's, yeah, there's this inherent, or is it inherent or implicit? <laughs> uh, both words. I think it's in, it's probably both. This horror that exists within that, you know, any depiction of the mindless masses, or the like, ever moving forward masses. They're just doing the thing because everybody else is doing the thing. That like the parties me. in this are just constant. Exactly. Like there's, yeah, there's there's a lot of it one going big on. circus. The right, the church has it. The circus has it. Um, the even the 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 asylum has it. Right there's, I think it actually the asylum probably is the most is probably the 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 starting point in a way. If it, I think all the other ones are reflections of the of the asylum, in a way, right? Like, 
you you have this feeling of uh god what's how would you put this it's it's like man everybody f- sort of feels like uh autonotoms is that the right word they all feel the same in their in their in the group and they do that specifically in the asylum where it seems like everybody there except for phoenix has uh, Down syndrome, right? Like there are. It's like it, the way the doc. You're saying like the way the doctors they the way they talk. They have this sort of forced smile on their face. They're like, this is how doctors talk and carry themselves in a way that just feels like it's actually disconnecting them more from who they should be trying to reach. Right. There's this. There's this weird gap between the sameness of of the patients. Everybody's sort of ex- having this very similar group experience, and they all you know, have the same condition, if you want to call it that. Um, And every other realm has a similar vibe to it out in the, in the outside world, the non-asylum world. Um, So I almost feel like all those other groups in the outside world, like it's almost like they're an extension of the actual reality of what it's like to live in the, this asylum environment and like even trying to kind of parse that out i'm like i might be completely making this this connection up like i the movie ha- is so weirdly kind of it, it feels like there's layers upon layers upon layers and i'm like i i actually have no idea what the intention of the filmmaker is at all um it's like maybe that's true and maybe it's not it almost doesn't matter because i'm having this weird experience where i'm like something feels uh (laughs) something about the movie it feels really cohesive and really chaotic at the same time and that's a weird (laughs) thing to experience like it makes me not know what to think in a way well, so you so so point being, I think you have to let it go and just soak in how it makes you feel rather than what it makes you think. And the effect is to this it's it makes you feel a little crazy, which I think is I think actually is more to the point of the film if you could say there's a point or more to the right. intention of the filmmaker. Well, so it's, it's working. <laughs> I feel like that. I don't want to say intention. I think he just approaches things as like, mm-hmm. this is pure art. This is like a painting, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. And with then you can, I think you're right. you know, th- th- but then from then it's valid to be like, oh, this, whether it was intentional or not, did make me think or feel a certain yeah. thing. So this is actually the train I was going to continue earlier, but but what, what you're just saying too got me thinking of like, I appreciated it worked for me how in this film everyone everything the situations are like pushed to their extremes Mm. you know and like what made me think of that what you just said too is like makes you feel crazy and that made me think well like the way everyone in this film is crazy in a way Mm-hmm. But that then was cool because that made me think that's the way that we are all crazy. But all this that's film right. does, it just sort of puts it in a context where 
No, that we're just actually showing you these people who actually then act on those base impulses that we all have in a way. Yeah. And maybe that helps the sort of what I was trying to say earlier, the dream flow, and maybe is a more accurate way of putting it than dream flow. But for examples, like the... I guess an easy one is the hypersexualization of a lot of the characters where mm-hmm. you have um, at the beginning when he's a young kid, Phoenix is when he's a young kid, and his dad, you know, he see like his dad, he's having the affair with the tattooed woman. And like the way that when, you know, he's throwing knives at her, she's like really getting off on those knives mm-hmm. hitting right next to her, you know? Or then whether it's just how it's just throughout all the characters in this world, though, too, even the little side characters where you have, like, when they go to the brothel and um, the... And the, the the one the the guy who kind of he's just a bit part in it, but he kind of looks like Jaws from Moonraker. He's told like, <laughs> right, um, right. "Oh yeah, go to the girl in back. She's mute and deaf, so you can do anything you want to her." And so, so the first thing up. he does, he the only thing he ends up doing, he picks her up and rocks her like a baby. Yeah, like that's his base first. Like when he hears "do whatever you want," that's his first base instinct of where to start. Mm-hmm. You know. I think, you know, so my big, big takeaway for the movie was I really felt as though this was a large, largely a commentary on neglect and in particular neglect on people who don't have necessarily the facilities to defend themselves from that neglect. Right. So everybody everybody's a little compromised. The people who are being abused and neglected are all a little compromised in this movie, right? Like Phoenix is a kid, right? He's at the mercy of his messed up parents and he's exposed to awful things, right? Like his, like his dad behaving the way he behaves, you know, having an affair and then his mom coming in and getting clearly abused by his dad, but then having sex with his dad and then, and, you know, and Phoenix, like, watches that. He, you know, he ends up seeing that, which is just, it's, like, boundaryless and neglectful and awful to him. And the res- and then, of course, shit goes down and, and he witnesses her arms getting cut off, her dad, or his dad being killed by his mom. Like, all of that is just terrible, terrible trauma and abuse and neglect. But, like, everybody, everybody else experiences some sort of level of that, right? Like... The the girl whose name I can't remember. Um, if you have it, what the hell is it? Uh, Alma. Yes, Alma's the deaf love interest, right? Yeah. Like like the scene you're talking about. Like her, th- that is that's so beyond neglect to have your caretaker. I don't re- I couldn't really tell if it's her mom or not. It doesn't seem like it. But her the mom's tattooed, the tattooed woman. Yeah is is it her mom or is she just yeah. sort of the person looking after her? It is her mom. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's even worse. Her mom's just like, yeah, go for it. Like, I'm going to make a business. Like, that is the worst neglectful, abusive thing, right? And even the patients at the asylum, they're being neglected and abused in the way that they're treated. When they go out, they're just left to to in the hands of some random dude who then also puts them in a situation that's inappropriate and neglectful and abusive, right? Like, everybody's just getting taken advantage of. And, like, I think that's part of why I was so squishy about the movie. I was like, 
I'm on, like, this is awful. And so trying to get through that from a viscer on a visceral level and just sort of take in the metaphoric depiction of that stuff and like all of the kind of the nuance of just filmic storytelling from a metaphorical point of view, I had to lean more on that and just be like, okay. But I feel like at its core, that, that really is the, the basis of a lot of what's going on in the movie. And that's, that's tough stuff to not only to depict, but also to take in as, as the, the audience. And so it's this, it's, <laughs> I can see a lot of people being like, I can't watch this. And I was kind of on, you know, I was on the fence of it where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put my head down and and get through it. But it's, it's messed up. (laughs) So there's this, um, there's this commentary going on that, you know, throughout that I thought was really affecting and, you know, hard to watch at times, but also important in a way. So, you know, it worked. I'm just, it's a, it's heavy shit. That's what I'm saying. What I think got me through all that in the best of ways. And I just, in a story sense too, an emotional sense and a story sense was able to really latch on to was you had this innocent from childhood love story, simple love story mm-hmm. to sort of that, that felt like, was our sort of saving grace, you know, that could save us at the end. So, you know, you have like the, they have a sweet sort of childlike romance or whatever, Phoenix and Alma at the beginning. And then throughout the film, when they're older, it's just sort of, you feel it leading there of, they got to reconnect. They got to find each other again. They got to find their love. They're going to, you know, help each other, bring each other out or whatever. And just that I thought was so, that always gets me. And it was just so sweet and nice and ended up, you know, in its own way that, that is, it did save the day in the end. Mm-hmm. So, so that offset it. So it wasn't just like totally this unpleasant experience. Like it was still there in the horror movie sense, being trapped yeah. in this world of neglect, as you put it. But, um, you know, as much as I'd want in a horror movie and then some, but uh, it's still it was still cool that this was at the heart of it and a through line a clear through line through it so that that really worked for me yeah all of the stuff that sort of revolves around every everything is a circus right the circus is a circus <laughs> the 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 church is becomes a circus right <laughs> like that whole scene is very just chaotic and and circus like and performative, you know, like her whole thing. It's all it's all very deceptive too, right? Um his later Phoenix and his mother's sort of just general relationship is a is a fucking circus. I mean, literally and figuratively. Him being her hands is one of the most weirdly profound metaphors it it is it's so in i just it it the implication of it is so (laughs) intense that i don't even know what to think like i don't even know where to start right well i could start with i loved it so much it was so good tim that was like one of my favorite (laughs) aspects of it like that is i think that's i think that is that 
if you want to single out why Jodorowsky is considered a genius, I think that you can just be like that right there. He <laughs> yeah. came up with that. Is, um, is, do you do I need to say anything else? Isn't that enough? <laughs> like that's it, right? Uh, it, it, what it really? I mean, just as a metaphor as a whole, I mean, you're breaking that better at breaking that down than me. I mean, I get it; it's there for sure. It's just hard to put concisely. But there's what when it r- like really impacted me, like in a, a sort of moment within all that him acting as her hands was sort of towards the end when um, he's he's trying to play the piano for her and she's yeah. like, no, no, more elegant, whatever, whatever. And they sort of have a, a little fight back and forth. His arms are so clearly, it, it's, it's, it, they go beyond just doing a rehearsed act for her where her spontaneous movements and yes. her spontaneous yeah. arguments are being represented in yeah. her slash his arms like his arms truly become her arms it's not a, an act a rehearsed thing that they're doing it really is like these little gesticulations mm-hmm. that could only be belong to the person doing it are being enacted by him even though they're totally spur of the moment and natural and that's just when i went oh my god like what yeah. is like what what are his <laughs> arms and what are her arms is just gone totally out the window and like uh, their their linkage together, which right. should be a, be a beautiful thing, but has just been so perverted, and it's yep. so so horrifying and heartbreaking. Oh then they God. kiss in that scene too. It's uh, it's just so perverted. Is actually it is a perversion of the mother son relationship, right? Like it just is, and I think that's sort of being able to come up with this this vibe almost of that throughout the film like having that perverting that relationship in the way that they do is just such a high level of artistic sort of like uh like proof of artistic expression i guess it's maybe a way to put it you know it's just crazy to me it's like it's kind of the like i very much feel about this film and 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 this style if if you can say it's a style i feel the very very much the same way i do when i go to like modern art museums and like there's just some wild thing that you've never seen before and they're taking forms and and like kind of ideas of art that that we're vaguely familiar with but then they're doing this totally other thing and you go whoa i don't like what is that and i don't even know what i'm looking at but i know i like it like it's it's having an effect on me this film feels the same as that experience that that i've had a number of times i don't know if anybody else has that experience but that tends to be my experience often when i go to modern art museums where i'm like this is just super weird but like it's clearly coming from a mind that is able to like wrap all sorts of stuff into a, a weirdly concise form. Mm-hmm. Like, how did they get there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were they thinking about it? Like, what? Or it's just I I find that stuff really fascinating. It it to me doesn't always translate into something that I like in terms of 
filmmaking, but you can't deny the, at, at the very least, the artistry, but at the most, the, the, like the genius of it. It's like the way you talk about it, because I, I want to say disagree, but for me, there's, I don't really see a distinction between like the kind of art you're describing. And let's say like, I know you've written things and have written songs. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. no different from that in my mind. It's just like artists, they, there's something outside of themselves that they've got a little bait on the hook for. And they, you know, a first little inkling of, or maybe it comes pouring out, whatever. But it, it's just all the same thing. Like, doesn't matter how how strange or weird or a modern art museum or like if it's a children's song, whatever it is, it's just something that we just pull down, pull out. You know, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't really see a distinction there. I think it's partially an admiration thing because I don't think my brain operates that way. So I'm always like, I'm like amazed and fascinated and and feel almost in awe of of people who work who operate on that level i'm like whoa Mm -hmm. they're way different and that's crazy that they were that that's what came out cool expression uh the expression (laughs) far out hell yeah hell yeah brother (laughs) (laughs) um I mean, how about just other overarching things? I mean, I could say a a bigger thing too is just that whole last third or whatever when the sort of the the killing though that that horror we sort of had all that thread and he's really in there with his mother. Alma's really getting close to saving him. Mm -hmm. They're really they're at his house. He puts on the show for the strong armed woman. Gets transported to the graveyard. Just that whole last chunk was so good and what really put the movie over the edge for me in a good way. I think yeah, I think this that's some of the I w- at least I I felt the most into that section of the movie. Um the the dreamy meandering of the first half or two thirds ish at times felt hard, but once we got into like legit, okay, he's the one killing people. And now it's like it's ramping up and getting worse and worse. I started to really like lock into, okay, cool. I'm 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 into this portion of the movie because <laughs> up him. to that point, I was thinking mostly about the metaphors that were going on, and I felt a little overwhelmed. <laughs> How about for, for metaphors for you, Tim? And towards the ending, when he's seeing, he's uh, hallucinating the giant like boa constrictor snake coming out of the front of his pants and he's <laughs> yes. wrestling with it. Oh, remind me like Strap Tetsuo the Iron Man in a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's I a good moment. That. <laughs> and then oh, she, are you okay? Oh, just I'm just just some hallucinations. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> just your just your run of the mill, you know, daily hallucination. It'll pass. <laughs> yeah. Um why I think too maybe I woke up wanting to give this a buy it. I can't deny that there were two moments in this that you could say one was okay okay let me preface this a little bit more with saying like I love this kind of film and you could say Mulholland Drive too where I say like it's Mm. totally fair like 
you can call them a horror film because I think if anything has horror aspects to it, it sort of automatically puts it in that realm, you know? So there's a, dis- a pretty clear distinction there for me. But I think, like I mentioned Mulholland Drive, the same breath as this. So they go outside of genre at the same time. They really are using genre all over the place. They're their own thing. They aren't really necessarily too pigeonholed in those terms. Mm-hmm. So like in Mulholland Drive... It's funny because, yeah, even if it may not be like the clearest horror, 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 or everyone, you know, people would argue over the definition of it. I can't deny it has probably one of the best horror movie moments in all of horror films of seeing that that guy around the, around the corner, him yeah. stepping out. <laughs> so it's just, I think it's kind of a fun, I don't know if it's irony, but just kind of like that that by going outside of genre realms, you can actually get at a moment that is a bigger horror moment than in typical horror movies. So there were two moments like that that worked for me. One was in a horror movie sense, and one was in a love story, a romance sense, which I said, you know, is another big thing I latched onto in this film. So the horror one was, which I learned in the making of, was just total serendipity. It was... uh, (laughs) <laughs> like it wasn't planned. It was he heard of this guy and put it into the movie. But was when it's already just so distressing because it's when Alma's out on the street for the first time and she's just like running in all these characters and she's confronted with this man who takes off his ear all right. and violently, <laughs> violently tries to shove it down her mouth. Dude. Like that, <laughs> like... That too, so- <laughs> right? I, I, yeah. Oh man, I almost have blocked it out because it. I was just like, okay, we've we've left Earth. Worse. <laughs> Where are we? This is so oh like. How did this even come about? Like, what is going on? But that's that's why I loved it so much. I mean, to start with that imagery, which is so yeah, so unique. So ineffable, and then it's just instantly just cements it in the horrific realm when he tries to forcefully shove it down her mouth. It's like, oh my god, like that really hit me. This is uh, a good example of something that I I think that I struggle with in because in, in, I really really I think I'm one of those people who the reason I like structure and I like form and like that sort of way of looking at storytelling is because it, it it gives a sense of control and comfort. And from both the viewing perspective and the, and the filmmaking perspective that then makes me feel grounded. Like I can, I can hold on to that and feel like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And this, that type of thing breaks that so wholly that I, I often struggle when, like when somebody says, why don't we try this or that or whatever, I want to justify, I want to be like, that's an interesting idea, but like, why, how does it help the movie? How does it, how does it like fit in? Or like, I want it to make sense. And I think a good lesson is that it doesn't need to, right? Like sometimes you just can have an arbitrary moment 
and just let that live in your story. And I think it's important to be open to that because there are going to be times like how it, it is an incredible moment and it doesn't need to mean anything, right? It doesn't need to have some deeper whatever, like it just can be what it is. And I think that's a really, for some people, myself included, that can be a really difficult hurdle to get over. I mean, it's it's just funny. I don't see it as like, I mean, I know what you mean. I know you don't. But it's not <laughs> arbitrary at all because I can't, I can't, not only could I literally not have imagined or come up with that, but I can't now in retrospect think of anything that made me feel her whore as much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, she's on the street. (laughs) She's Things are unfamiliar. There's strangers around. She's not safe. Things are weird and unpredictable. Like, of course, I'm already feeling that, and it's scary, whatever, whatever. But to hit it, like, in my the upper area of my chest where I feel it because of that ear moment, it's it then puts me actually there with her in a way that wouldn't have otherwise if you didn't have it. Like that's what's what's what works about it is the emotion it elicits. And like, that's mm-hmm. all that matters. You know, it's that's, right. that's true. That I think part of what I'm saying is that there are always going to be people and I've, I'm guilty of this, but there are always going to be people around you that are going to say that doesn't make sense or like, or or demand that you prove that there's a good reason for anything that you any idea you have and i think that what often really separates some of the great artists and filmmakers out there is that they say i don't care what you think like i'm this is my movie i'm doing what i want go away right like they don't they they don't get um, bogged down by the other voices that, or the detractors or the people who are saying, eh, eh maybe that's not going to work. Like, I think I admire that a lot. And I strive to be more like that because I, I try to kind of keep the peace <laughs> a lot in life and in art and whatever, like film is a many faceted thing, right? You've got lots of voices going on to make the thing. But sometimes you got to be like, no, I'm the director. We're doing what I want. And I think it's an important line to walk, you know? Well, I mean, I think what's helpful to, I guess I'm talking personally to get there. If you're, that's something I, this, and this is my own feelings on it. And I'd like to think I've been validated by experience. Now, if you weren't even thinking in those, I mean, no, it's, it's, it's not, not illogical. It's just a, logic applied at a different level. I don't know. You'll get what I'm saying when I say it. But it's it's not even thinking of terms of like, is this weird? Is this breaking a rule? Or is this like not justified? Because it's all about, I think directing is you're honing, you're, you're trusting your intuition for yeah. what the film wants to be. Yeah. It's not about what I want, what he wants, what she wants, whatever. It's what does the film want? And right. why it works so well, like this again, as this is an example, is it's it's not incongruous with the reality and rules of the world that they've that they've built that that this film is <laughs> right, right, 
So it's not, you know, out of place in that sense. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, it, yeah, it does make logical sense in that sense, you know, in that, that way too. And again, yeah, just rather than even thinking in those terms of like, is this, is this somehow not logical on a certain level? Um, it's just, no, it's, See, and this is, why, this is why it's hard for me to say because it is logical to put that into me. Like, you know, because <laughs> well, that's it my, is that's kind it's of based my point. on it's based on intuition though, of like right. and not thinking in terms of of other people as well as yourself. You're just thinking in terms yeah. of being a, a representative of the film. Yeah, I think that good filmmakers are able to tap into that. Um and 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 I my, ultimately what I'm saying I think is that I admire that like I I sometimes don't think that I'm able to tap into that and so when I see people who who can and do I'm like damn that's good they're good I wish I was better at that <laughs> so it's working that's my yeah. point cool <laughs> do as a filmmaker you got to do for yourself to whatever for yourself to actualize the movie being something outside of yourself so that that's your default coming off place. Not that I'm some super experienced, whatever, whatever, but I have been, this is something I'm always thinking about and it's a muscle I'm always trying to practice. So for whatever that's worth. Um, And then, so, and then I was, you know, I, I, this, this year scene started, I was saying now there's, that was the horror movie moment that worked mm-hmm. better than any horror movie or a lot of horror movies. But then there's also the love story moment that worked better than a lot of love stories, which was when they finally, finally make it to each other. The mother's defeated all at the end and they kiss and it's so beautiful. And the filmmaking, the way they shot that, I had not, I've never seen anything like it where it was a little like what what Spike Lee likes to do, where you have you know in a moment of ecstasy or or monologue delivery, you have someone standing on a crane with the camera, and then they get risen up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it wasn't exactly that. It had a flowier sense where it was basically like you had the camera on its own. This is, I guess, I think that yeah, they were kissing, embracing, whatever, finally together, and you had the camera on a dolly or crane or something just sort of moving around where it felt like they were getting elevated a bit, you know, the camera moving down. So it just sort of, you know, sort of had a quality of them being taken up in their romance, swept away. But there was more going on than that. It was as if they had them on a crane too, just to sort of heighten the effects, just of, of like put, put them both on a crane doing the same thing. So, but it was, it was subtle enough too, but it just... It made it so they could uh, they they were getting swept up in mm, that the, mm-hmm. the physical way that much more, but it was like you wouldn't even notice it too. I was, thought it was so so incredible and like just subtle enough. It was is I I was floored with that that filmmaking behind that. Like I, I really couldn't believe it. I thought it was incredible. Yeah. Like I'm like, how did they pull this off? Like this, the speed <laughs> right. of their crane, the speed of the crane, the speed of the camera with them. Sorry, it was, it was clearly I was very impressed. Yeah, yeah, they probably just did it. We're like, hell yeah, yeah, that's what. There I it is. <laughs> <laughs> Had the resources, made it happen. Yeah, you know, there's one other sort of really broad thing that I felt was compelling is that there's this. 
pretty overt. I don't know what the takeaway necessarily is, but there's this overt uh, recurring theme that is, I would say, is sort of anti-American, like anti-United States, white American, male white American. Um, that's like, it's all over the place. Um, I think this, the circus is called El Gringo Circus. Um, the, what's another good example? Like, I mean, the tattoo is the American, like, eagle crest thing. And it's by having the dad who is the white American guy uh put like <laughs> put that on his son in the most like i mean that's just the worst it's so messed up to he have puts it him on him in response to he puts it on him in response to him crying he's like you gotta be yeah. a man don't cry so he tattoos an eagle on him yeah and he's like this will make you stronger it's like oh my god but i i really love that that is in this movie that there's this commentary about like, I mean, I don't know what it necessarily says in the, in the, in the totality of the movie, but I mean, it, it's certainly just a, a recurring thing that, that Jodorowsky put in there to be like, I don't know. Well, fucking, <laughs> it, it's certainly a point of view on, on, uh, the U S well, yeah, that actually was deliberate. He talks about it in the documentary where he's looked at it as, we had, you know, uh, we had Mexico and it's extending up to the Americas and Canada up there and the Inuit people, whatever. And then you had the circus come into town, which was America getting colonized. Yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. So it was, that, that was that for him. But the uh, the theme that you're touching on there with the tattoo and the father and why he's all, they're both messed up in their own ways. Um, it caught me thinking on something that, feels like so controversial, which is why I want to touch on it. I have such mixed feelings about it. Um, God, have you seen that movie? What is it called? It's on the Criterion Collection. A Walkabout. Have you seen that? Walkabout? Oh, no. I've heard of it, though. Where It's like the, you know, like I guess they're Australian, but like the, the rich white kids sort of, their parents die. They get caught up in sort of following around um, a, a native kid who's on his walkabout, which is when- Right, the aboriginal- like yeah, when you turn a certain age, you go yep. off for however many weeks or months, and like that's your passage into adulthood. Mm-hmm. I was just, and I was just thinking, out all sorts of cultures, they had things like that, you know, where like rites you of ha- passage. Sort yeah, of, even sort of things. Yeah, uh, yeah. When I mentioned uh, Flash Gordon, I watched that last week. Was my recommendation? You had to, the thing where you put your arm into a stump, and the <laughs> thing would sting you or not. You know. Yeah. Um, but then I, I can't help but think that is there something to that? You know, you had these these cultures doing that for thousands of years, and I feel like don't want to speak for everyone, but like my generation, it feels like we are. You know, we're you, you know the thing that that when you when you don't deal with outward hardship, how like things that feel like they shouldn't be hardship are but become so hard 
and mm. it's as if mm-hmm. we never actually were like it's what like what it's what we're supposed to be in our society when we get our our high school diploma or whatever and then we're adults and then we're off into the world but it's like yeah i don't know high school was annoying to have to pass those tests <laughs> but it wasn't like I, I didn't feel like i was i was an adult when i got out of high school you know oh god no, me neither. Or, or I mean, at all, or ever, and I don't think you ever will be in, in a certain sense, too. And that's that's why it's all conflicting for me in my head, too, is like, you hear that saying that's like, um, what is it about? Uh, you, getting, it's the, there's a Bob Dylan quote that's something like, getting older is um, when you're learning to be a kid again kind mm. of thing. Um, anyway, this, this film just brought, uh, up a lot of that for me in an interesting, you know, fun to think about way of just like well, where where's the value in that? Is there value in that? Is there a place for that in our society and all that stuff? Well, I think in a in a way, this is almost like the antithesis of a appropriate right rite of passage story, right? Like Phoenix is is actually actively put into a state that disallows him to grow up and and grow up in a, in a healthy way. Like it's, it's like you said, again, his rite of passage was so perverted into this other thing that it broke his brain and put him into a mental asylum. But then we got to put this in the context of like, maybe it's not so well's called a, a rite of passage, but he does become actualized as a person feeling like they're in control of their life when he defeats the spirit of his mother and the spirit of his helpers leave, he throws her away. And, you know, it tragically ends with he's got to spend 10 years off in a asylum or whatever, or in prison, whatever it's going to be. But the point of the ending is it's also happy with he defeated, you know, mm-hmm. his things holding him back. He's become a person in control of his own life. So right, he gets he there in the only, end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He does get there in the end, which is, good because i think we needed that (laughs) and but but the reason he was in the in that situation in the first place is because of you know as a kid a healthy way of transitioning from kid to adult was completely perverted and so that is the (laughs) that is the character arc he has to make up for that perversion and and get through it so do you see a healthy transition from being a a kid to a you know a adult in control of their own life as a clear transition as just like a sort of a flowy transition or do you think like you know it has to be surrounding a a moment or multiple moments like how do you view that then Um I think that's circumstantial like it it depends on the context Right. If we're doing it in story form, sure, it can be a it can be a moment in real life. It's obviously it's not. I don't I don't. But think that's it is. But, but that's why I'm comparing it to like real life when you have mm-hmm. uh, aboriginal societies who send people out, uh, send teens out on their walkabout. That is I think a moment. That is a period yeah. in their life. And they do come out as like doing a lot better, <laughs> you know, in a certain sense. I think the intention, if it's if it's framed appropriately could be a really powerful thing. Um, I don't, 
I I just don't know. I <laughs> I don't know enough about how other cultures do that to to really comment on it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> like I think it would I think in its purest form the idea is a very good idea because it gives context and perspective in a moment in time for anybody to say, "Hey, in life we go through these transitions and that's a really cool thing to recognize and address and have perspective on. Here's an experience that we can use to give you an opportunity to reflect on that. That seems awesome to me. I have absolutely no sense of that ever happening in my life. <laughs> like there's no there's no constructive version of that that I experienced and I don't know that we as a culture in the states have things like that 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 feel like that maybe right. there is i didn't well, have one here's some i guess my thoughts on it are like i think we're constantly in life no one's ever fully grown you're always being given opportunities to grow to do something that scares you mm-hmm. whatever but but what a walkabout in this case you know as an example offers is I think all that could potentially become easier when you're faced with your mortality in a sort mm-hmm. of structured, ritualistic way. Not in a, I'm traumatized from a car accident that almost killed me way, but from right. like a societally supported, um, this is going to help you face those everyday personal fears of yours because you'll have face the abyss so to speak and that's the thing that i feel like is you know lacking in our society and whether it's an actual good thing or not i don't know yeah i mean my i'll tell you what mine was what mine was trauma like i i blew my knee out when i was 17 i think i was 17 right like right at that sort of pinnacle moment of your you know leaving adolescence and be and and you know, transitioning into the next phase of adulthood or like the early phase of adulthood. I blew my knee playing soccer, which was like the thing that I really, really loved doing. And it forced me to have this like (laughs) intense reflection on what my life was about, right? Like, what did I actually want to do? And like, what are the implications of no longer being able to do the thing that I really loved doing? And like the trauma of going through a major surgery to have that all repaired and the recovery from all that was like, it was like at a time when everybody else was having this very different experience of transitioning out of that high school sort of mindset or, or whatever construct and into the, I'm now entering early adulthood for real on my own. My experience was just totally different, but it was all based in this traumatic event. And so that sucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it, it just, it, I had to deal with my version of that was based in something not so cool. <laughs> not as cool as a walkabout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd much rather have been on a walkabout. Shit. Great. Um, to, to to touch on the psycho similarities, I mean, mm. I just love crazy, intense mother stuff is so good. Crazy, <laughs> intense woman stuff is so good. Like, for, I mean, it's sort of set up from the beginning of how she's uh, 
the fervor and her religious beliefs of defending the church. Yeah. That's, you know, that's intense. But then just like a little example that just illustrated it for me so well was at the end, towards the end, when he's, um, there's the girl that he meets who's like, hey, let's do an act together. So he hypnotizes her and is doing his knife throwing thing on her. Yes. And his mother, you know, our, we learn, you know, the mother's been dead. It's basically the spirit of his mother. We're talking about this whole time. But mm-hmm. his mother gets him to throw a knife at her stomach, killing her. And she's not even awoken out of her hypnotized state when yeah. she's stabbed. But um, during that, when she's still like, in her hypnotized state and stabbed and dying, the mother walks over to her. And I'm like, this is, I just love how cruel she is. She called her, she's like, called her an idiot or something like that. Like this poor girl, this woman was (laughs) stabbed, is hypnotized, is dying. And the mother is like, calls her stupid or an idiot or whatever like that. It's like, oh my God, (laughs) like, come on. Well, well, don't you think too, it's so... It's so good, the irony of his, the the spirit construction of his mom in his head that he has is really, really antithetical to the, uh, the, the, the purpose of the original church that, and, and the formation of the church that she worshiped in, right? Like that church was based, like they, uh, what's it called when you make somebody a saint? Uh, they, there's a term for that and I can't think of it. They make this girl who was horribly attacked, raped, and then had her arms cut off. They make her a saint, right? And they are, they are worshiping that tragedy and like, propping up this person who suffered badly at the hands of of you know awful people and and then his version of his mom in his head is doing the same shit right like being abusive having people killed like like condemning women and calling them unpure and and like you know they're awful because they have sexuality or desires like that those two things the irony of that is just so fucking compelling yeah absolutely it's so twisted just the way she's just totally in control of him in the arms way but then also just the way they live with each other and he's calling for him and oh it's just oh god (laughs) norman it's it's great yeah yeah very much so um, another just amazing shot to mention I thought was so good is when the mother does get her arms cut off at the beginning. It's like the overhead <laughs> so shot and it's like you see it from both <laughs> sides. Um, is the dad. Oh God. And how about just in a horror movie sense of her throwing the acid on oh, his, his, his genitals. Yeah. Like when he's, then he comes out onto the street completely naked, holding his bleeding genitals and collapses on the street and dogs lap up his blood. It's like, oh my <laughs> God. I really like how that sequence is shot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's weird to say, but you know, it is very beautifully shot. This horrible moment. That's, that's a good lesson, you know, like 
having that having dichotomy in in how something is shot like how an awful moment is shot is is good good stuff well th- there's an overarching thing too for this in his films it doesn't matter how weird scary perverse violent is maybe what more what i'm getting at mm. his mm-hmm. content of his films are they're beautiful there's yeah. there's he sees beauty in the world no matter what it is like down to the casting and just all these interesting yeah. faces and characters like he he loves them all you can just tell that yeah for sure people's unique talents everything it's really neat rituals every yeah it's cool yep. um i loved how our, our main character was obsessed with the invisible man and was like duplicating <laughs> yeah. invisible man movements uh, that's not a metaphor too <laughs> yeah wishing you were invisible it was great. It was great. Yeah. Um, and then, oh God, the, I think the last thing I just had to mention was the knife throwing itself. How it was real knife throwing, and <laughs> it's like you're watching it. You're, you're like, that's not like reverse acting happening. That's not knives like being faked. They're really throwing knives at this woman, and. It, it just as far as what worked, it um, it really just puts you in the reality of this world, like, like ra- rather for me than just being totally distracted by oh my god they're really doing that how did they go about that da, 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 da. It just, I just I was felt just scared for the women right exactly it was, <laughs> I was like oh no but it was. But it just didn't make me quite, it was just one of those things of, it's just a real stunt, how, you know, mm. even though, you know, it's, whether they're, they're right or wrong to do, in the end, they do put you in the reality of the film more. And boy, man, that's, and I feel like, especially because you feel like you're never going to see that ever again. Um, yeah, right. Definitely worked for me. It was really incredible. Yeah. Agreed. Do you have anything else? I'm trying to think. I like the graveyard scenes a lot. Like the that they felt really cool and eerie. I like when he escapes the asylum. Like just the method of escape, like him throwing, like climbing the the tree that's in his room, <laughs> whatever, um, <laughs> and throwing the rope out. Like he he like wraps it around his foot, I think, first, so that he can climb up with it, and then he throws it out the window, and then he climbs up, sees his armless mom for the first time climbs down and then they walk off together in this like mist it's so cool looking Mm -hmm. the whole thing like just the whole his room in the asylum too like like it's there's just something about it i don't even know what to think i think there's like maybe it's that there's this sort of primal feel to it that he's He's almost animalistic in those moments. He's naked and he's in the tree. He's and not like, almost animalistic. He's entirely okay, he animalistic. <laughs> yeah. He's, but he's, he's not like he's attacking an eagle. anybody. Yes. Yeah, the, yes. That's, he that's eats, good. That's a good way of putting it. Right. He eats a raw whole fish. Right. He's he's huddled over naked. He won't eat with silverware. Like he's he's 100% right. in animal mode. And I, I love that about it. But that I think you're, so cool. yeah, yeah, I, I, I just sort of didn't pick up on this. You're right. He is an eagle, specifically. That's cool. 
<laughs> yeah. Shit. <laughs> that was really neat. The point of view of the eagle flying yeah, after like the shots shot. of the eagle. That yep. was neat. Great. Should we move on? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> We're just looking at each other, right? <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I didn't have anything. What do you say I can't about really this? Really say that I have? Yeah, I mean, I guess me just. It, I mean, there's nothing that didn't work about the movie. It's just like I said, it's not really my thing. Like it's, we just spent like an hour and a half almost talking about all these things that work. So it's like, I don't really know what to say. Like, it's not my taste. Like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that there's anything that made me go, ugh. I just wasn't, it was hard for me to get super into because it's not my thing. Avant-garde stuff I've is generally ha- uh, harder for me to like sort of get on board with. I can appreciate it, but I don't know how to like dismember it. <laughs> where's <laughs> no? where's a lot like let's take something that else we've watched that is quote unquote avant-garde like vampire. How do you how do you like w- what about that? was a buy it and what about this is a rent it in a avant-garde speaking terms hmm god (sighs) hmm well jesus i don't know i don't even know how to (laughs) what to say about that um I I guess the when when a when when something is so avant-garde that I just feel like it's people being weird <laughs> that that's kind of the thing that like keeps it at arm's length for me that's a, I don't know how else to put this but like I, I feel I more just, grounded really in vamp here but I just this doesn't at know. all feel like being weird for weird sake for me. This no, movie. I don't like, think it's, it's being weird for weird sake. I just I'm saying that the way that people behave and are depicted is very. It seems very far from realism. That's what I mean. It is. And it's in I that. personally prefer more grounded realism. So I said like yeah, speaking. how all the all the characters are pushed to extremes. Right. I mean, it reminded me of the one uh, Ken Russell movie we've watched, and we're going to, I believe, cover The Devils at some point. Reminds me a lot of his kind of filmmaking. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. And there is there is something, it may be kind of an era thing too, like uh, this was made in what year? Released uh, in 89. 89? Oh, right. Yeah, it might be kind of that, that it's just sort of a, uh, there's a, a tone and a style to to just that era that is not my favorite. But I don't know. I really don't know how to articulate what, 
why it doesn't land for me. I thought anything with a 1980 date on it was uh, only bonus in your book. (laughs) Mostly. Okay. (laughs) It's a weird thing. It's it's right on the cusp. It is very Mulholland Drive-y, isn't it? In sort of in sort of an essence way, it's got that a similar essence. I don't know. I I really don't know. It's got right. kind of that interesting mix of Argento and Lynch, and plenty of other surrealists and, who came before them. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It feels. Yeah, I don't know. I think the, it'll grow the, on. It, it it could grow on me. The like the party scene, very eight and a half, you know, like the way they're just mm-hmm. celebrating. Everyone seems in, insane by being caught up in this, these celebrations. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I really don't have much to say. Then I've got <laughs> nothing, so we'll move on to our next section: things cool. of note. This should be interesting. So I'm guessing you didn't, but I watched the documentary on the disc. There was a bunch on there. It was cool. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. I uh, I was only able to get through. There's like an hour and a half documentary on the making of this. So nice. I got some fun stuff I learned about if you want to hear it. Yes, I do. Great. So it was inspired by... <laughs> Alejandro Jodorowsky was doing like some some cartooning, like political cartoons at the time. And this guy asked to meet up with him for coffee because he was a fan of his. And when the guy told Jodorowsky his name, uh, Jodorowsky was like, wait, aren't, that's the same name of the guy who murdered 13 women, right? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And he's like, what? Well, like oh what? Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Why did you do it? Like uh, that kind of thing. And he's and the guy was basically like, I forget his name, but it was over ten years ago. And he said, "Well, it's because I was completely crazy." And he said <laughs> that he uh, spent ten years in an asylum, then or you know, getting help, whatever it was. And then he says, "And now uh, all that, I, I'm not in touch with it. It feels like it didn't happen. I have a wife and family, and I'm very happy." <laughs> and Jodorowsky was just kind of like so stuck with this idea of someone who's you know <laughs> murders he said he really doesn't like like the slashers and diallos and was not at all interested in just like killing women as a theme mm-hmm. but uh but then put under this perspective of this this guy who somehow seemingly recovered or as they put it like found redemption uh that's what really grabbed on to him about it um and then it was another author or writer who wrote a story that then they uh that someone pitched to Jodorowsky or sent to him and Jodorowsky was like this was one of my ideas you stole it the the story fairy uh flew over me that night and went straight to you and then (laughs) you know that kind of thing but this is really happy to get paired up with it in the end and then wrote you know the collaborated for the final screenplay Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, we didn't even mention it, but his the who plays Phoenix, both older Phoenix and young Phoenix, are both uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's kids 
So right, right. Alex Yodorowsky played Phoenix, older Phoenix, and Aiden played young Phoenix, which that could easily fall under what worked is this that you totally. actually have this guy who he looks like his younger self. It's incredible. I know when when you when the old like when you see both of them, I was like, damn, they good casting. <laughs> they, <laughs> right. They look a lot alike. <laughs> and he said, you know, he thought to um he was too old at that point. He had acted in his earlier movies, Alejandro mm-hmm. himself. Um, but it was, I guess he was already kind of thinking of, of his older son and who, by the way, it wasn't just like he, he cast him and they figured out whatever. He is someone who is like an actual practicing, um, performance yeah. artist and all that stuff. And so, uh, Al Axel was invited his dad. He had no idea he was even thinking of casting him in this movie, but Axel invited his dad to his, um, it was his, his final, his acting final, whatever it was where he did this whole, performative mining thing. Um, what do they call it? Um, whatever, something like that. And, um, oh yeah, pantomime finale. And he apparently like moved the audience to tears. So it was after that Alejandro offered him straight up. He's like, son, I want you to play this lead role in this movie for me. I know you can do it. Um, <laughs> the uh, But then it was funny when they talked about the making of it, they completely eliminated oh no this was not even the making of it just in their family they eliminate the word dad like in the interview on this documentary they don't call each other like dad and son whatever Mm -hmm. so in the documentary axel's referring to his dad as alejandro (laughs) is interesting (laughs) but um they said when they actually made the film it was like any kind of you know, father-son connection. It was like just totally gone. They were just really only like, and it sounds like what I got from that is Alejandro is just totally just plugged into his work. He just becomes like this crazy soldier for this film. And this <laughs> that's cool. Crazy, assertive, does whatever, gets it done. Um, the the woman who played the mother was talking about doing a lot of the night shoots and how she didn't prefer those because just the streets that they were shooting on got really crazy. She said, I guess it was like when they were shooting something at the circus and she remembers one night, this guy, you know, yelling kind of incoherently just at life and in general, whatever, seemed like he was probably drunk, started cutting himself with an empty but broken bottle. Jesus. And (laughs) she said (laughs) that something like that would happen every night on a night shoot, basically. Oh my God. It's crazy. Um... I'm surprised you didn't mention this since uh, uh, actually maybe this is just a thing of note, but it's pretty unique to work with um, a group of people with Down syndrome and mm-hmm. cast them prominently in a sequence. And we kind of brought that up as like, you know, very different Down syndrome and people with physical disabilities, but just as far as like, you know, and, and enlisting people to put in a film when we talked about, what was it? That not the tent. Yeah. The tenant. No, or no, no, the Sentinel. Sentinel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he had mixed feelings about that. But it's, that was super interesting that apparently, like, he, Yodorovsky, that scene where they're all in the sort of the courtyard eating fruit and stuff and playing music, he said it was, he just sort of invented that on the spot as far as what it actually was. And he was sort of made it a goal of he just wanted everyone there to be having fun, all these these Down syndrome actors to be having a great time and made it all about them. So as far as, you know, if he was exploiting them, whatever, you know, I don't want to come down and say 
anything definitively, but from mm-hmm. everyone talking about the making of, he said that they had a great, great time. And that was the people with Down syndrome and the people without just like had this amazing time and party together and plugged into just a really innocent childlike feel that, um, that the fe- that, you know, that Alejandro's son playing Phoenix said he carries with him to that day and really affected his performance of being able to plug into something that they are offering. That was interesting. interesting. Um, <laughs> oh God. The, uh, just some examples of serendipity at play or, you know, plugging into this, this greater thing and it all adds up for the movie. So the, the guy with the missing ear, that was pun intended. He found that guy through hearsay. Where- oh no. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he, you know, he's asking about local characters or whatever. And th- someone was like, yeah, there's this guy who could take his ear off. So Alejandro was like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Makes that scene around him. Um, and then the other one that I thought was great. So Alejandro, like he knew he needed a mist, like he kind of gathered uh, all the, the soundtrack elements for this film, whether it's original or what, finding street music. And he sort of, you know, looks as himself as the main composer on his films. But for this one, he said he knew he needed a mystical song, something that had a mystical weight to it. Excuse me for for the beginning when they're protesting at the church. So mm. remember, it's this incredible, beautiful, amazing scene where you have a group of <laughs> of forty musicians all playing this this song. So yeah. it wasn't pl- planned that way at all. So what happened was he just knew he needed to find a mystical song. He was walking around the street and uh, an area where, you know, it's sort of mus- people playing music on the street kind of place. He said a blind man reached out and grabbed him, like <laughs> knew he was there somehow, you know, sensed him or whatever. So Alejandro asked him, it's like, hey, do you know where I can find, I'm uh, looking for mystical music. And this guy said, oh, well, I'm part of a group of musicians there's <laughs> where we play like these old hymns kind of things. They like from the Bible. Alejandro was like, perfect. And then, so he said, the thing is though, uh, you know, there's 40 of us and he's, he's like even better. So he, he paid them all to be there, got them all to be the performing artists in that opening scene. You just can't imagine it any other way. And then, um, let's see a couple of, yeah, those were just some inspired examples. Um, what else do we have? Oh, I, here's the last one I'll leave you with, <laughs> which was the so we got into you know the mother son thing at the end when it's just a lot of like he's he's really acting as her arms you know for a lot of it. She's kind of like, well, what do I what do I do with my arms you know during this all? <laughs> he's he told her grab his testicles. So <laughs> okay. through the majority of that. She's holding on to his balls. And so oh they God. said they said that lent to the situa- situation so perfectly, not only in like the <laughs> controlling, you know, mother sense or whatever, but, you know, in the physical sense too of like he was sticking very close to her. He didn't want to, dis- you know, unattach from her, of course, <laughs> risk any sudden movements kind of thing. Um, oh, man. <laughs> Had him by the balls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they wow. uh, they said it was the perfect <laughs> choice for the context of uh, that performance and on both of their parts. I'm going to venture to guess that you probably couldn't get away with that nowadays. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think somebody might object. 
Actually, oh, there's there's the last thing I wanted to mention was the um, the knife throwing. I, you know, just knowing Alejandro's this crazy, insistent artist character, I'm like, I got, you know, my son, I can't believe he got this woman to do this kind of thing. How horrible. You can never do that nowadays. No, they were shooting it with a dummy. Then that's when the actor who plays the tattooed woman, she's like, well, wait, why can't I, why do you need the dummy? Why can't I just do it? And Alejandro was like, no, 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 we can't do that to you. They're going to be throwing knives at you. We can't do that. And she's like, no, I just watched them. Like he's, he, he's never missed. He's just done this a dozen times. Like, just let me do it. <laughs> so she got all crazy insisted that she wanted to actually do it. Um, and that's when he was kind of like, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Didn't fight man. with her on it. Um, well, and there we go. Movie magic was made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. What a trip. Indeed. And that's um, what I appreciate about films like this. They uh, And Yorosky as a filmmaker takes you on a, a far, far off trip. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Cool, dude. Great. Well, it sounds like you didn't have anything for things of note then. <laughs> no. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. Well, then, if that's it for Santa Sangre, we like to wind down with our recommendations. Anything we've been consuming in any form, we'd like to recommend dead to the turn. Yeah, buddy. I watched the, uh, what was it? It was on HBO, I think. Um, new movie with uh, Denzel and uh, Jared Leto and oh man what's the other dude's name he's so good he's the guy who played Freddie Mercury Rami Malek yes thank you god uh so it's called all or sorry it's called the little things it's like you know it's sort of a murder mystery like mm, like catch catch the murderer kind of story it's pretty good I, I enjoyed it it's it's got kind of fincher like seven or zodiac kind of vibes but it's not as good as those movies but it's it's a good it'll sort of feed that uh that thing if you're needing a a good crime drama murdery like track down the killer story it's it's good and the acting's great like those i mean those three are quite good all of them so it's a fun one Great. Check it out. What's it called? The Little Things. The Little Things. Great. Well, I'm just working my way through my watch list, and I watched, available on Netflix, and I believe they put the money up for finishing it or whatever, film directed by Sandy Tan, documentary called Shirkers. Have you heard of Shirkers, Tim? I have not. I'm just going to read the short little synopsis here for you because it does a better job than me. In 1992, teenager Sandy Tan shot Singapore's first indie road movie with her enigmatic American mentor, George, who then vanished with all the footage. 20 years later, the 16mm film is recovered, sending Tan, now a novelist in Los Angeles, on a personal odyssey in search of George's vanishing footprints. Uh, It was tragic. Like, (laughs) this fucking dude, excuse me, disappeared with these like <laughs> teenagers film and it, when you see the footage of the film it's like 
it looks like right out of sort of that that early 90s indie scene kind of thing, like a ghost mm-hmm. world or clerks, something like mm-hmm. that. And you're like, this would have been one of those. And how yeah. great that actually have a, oh, a, a, a woman who made it too, a group of women made it aside from, of course, the one dude involved who ran away with the footage, but in this really <laughs> like sick, manipulative like way where at one point he like, sent them a box of blank tapes. Oh my God. Like all this stuff. And it's tragic too. It's because even though he held on to the film all these years, of course you're seeing the footage. So, you know, they finally get it back. The audio is never found or recovered or is, he got rid of it or something. So they can't actually, you know, recreate the film <laughs> as intended, but That's... it's instead they, they made this whole movie and the, um, it's, it's a really beautiful story too of finding um, you know, <laughs> making the best of it of, I, I don't know. I just think it's, since it's such a, a beautiful thing that they made that wasn't get to finished as it is so tragic, it's like cool and important just to sort of see it as much as you can and acknowledge as much you, as you can. And, um, so yeah, I enjoyed it for that. And just a fascinating story and just a lot of interesting themes and ideas of, you know, how, how the the all all of our how we put so much of ourselves into something we create and what can happen if that's something happens to it or our relationship to that. So yeah, I recommend you it. Know, it was recent. It was really good. Shirkers, cool. When I you know my the first project I wrote um, with my with my film partner. Um, was a was a web series and we did i think we did like four or six episodes in one chunk and then we filmed another four or six i forget how much maybe three whatever um episodes and the director took that footage and disappeared and so we the second half of our web series never came to be because so we had a full season like written out and filmed but half of it just poof gone and i've sent that director messages i don't know many many times being like what's the deal just never hear a response never get any idea i've had a couple times when they responded saying you know, oh, I, you know, I'd have to look, let me look for it, look for the footage. Also, like, you're not going to be able to view any of it because it's on these tapes and you would need a certain thing. I was like, I, I don't care. I'll ta- just give me the tapes. I'll figure that part out. Right. right. Like, like, I don't care. <laughs> so what? It can't be the tapes. But it's one of those things that just, it. I, I'll never really get over it because I'll never see that footage. And it's like, that was our first project. It was a big deal for us. And yeah, it's really, it's upsetting and frustrating and, you know, what are you going to do? Well, watch Shirkers, Tim. (laughs) Yeah. So I can relive that trauma. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good movie. Check it out. Cool, dude. Great. Well, I believe it's, (gasps) what does that sound? That doesn't sound like a hat being fetched. Tim. That sounds like our skull bike bell, which can only mean one thing. It is. What does what that does mean? mean? What does it mean? What does Fine, it all I'll tell mean? You. <laughs> okay, you tell me. 
It means that we are not pulling from a hat because we will be watching a new release film. Finally. In these times, that means not a newly released in theaters film, which this got a very limited release in theaters, but uh, shortly after a newly released on home video. And that is Saint Maud. Which, uh, it's supposed to be good, so we're hoping... Uh, well, we're hoping it's good. And it's funny, it's a new release, even though um, the film has a 2019 you know, date attached to it. I'm guessing that's its very first festival premiere or whatever. Yeah, but hey, probably. As, of, as of recording this, um, tomorrow it will become publicly available for the first time. So it's a awesome. new, new release in that sense. So look forward to uh, seeing you here next time for that, Tim and Sweet. everyone listening. I'll be there. Great. Great, great, great. Well, we're hope we hope you're there too. Either way, thank you so much for being here. You can find us wherever you found us, dismemberinghorror.com, our big ask. See if you enjoyed being here. Tell a friend. Please do. <laughs> what are you doing over there, Tim? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Playing with the skull bike, Bell. It's cool. Yeah. Great. All right, everyone. Either way, yes, we do mean it. In closing, thank you so much for listening. Yep. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>